I will start with that Reggie Watts song uh, that I, I sent you before entitled If You're Effing, You're Effing. <clears throat> I've already broken the rule. And yeah, so we, we uh, yeah. Yeah, so that they know also what kind of word terminology to yeah, use. No, you can you can but, say you can say it. I, <laughs> no, you can say fucking if you want. So here are a few lines from the song, and I'll just say it. The lines are: If you're fucking, then you're probably fucking. If you're fucking, then you're probably having some sex. If you're not fucking, then you're probably not fucking. If you're not fucking, then you're definitely then you definitely ain't fucking. If you're not fucking, then you most likely ain't fucking. If you're not fucking, baby, you ain't having no sex. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Diet Soap is a Sublation Media podcast. Uh, Alinka Zupancic uh, is a Slovenian philosopher whose work focuses on psychoanalysis and continental philosophy. She is the author of books such as What is Psychoanalysis? Uh, the Odd One In on Comedy and What is Sex, which is a book we'll be discussing today. Uh, um, she's a member of what I think of as the Slovenian gang, uh, along with Slovoj Žižek. She's a part of the Lacanian left. Uh, Alinka, welcome to the channel. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to to be here today and to join the, <laughs> this is, the this chain is our, of the speakers. <laughs> this is our second attempt to, to record a, a conversation. I'm, it's working much better now that I'm not at my kid's apartment, but here at home with a good internet connection. Um, I want to actually start. I have a, a whole bit about Reggie Watts and his song, If You're Fucking, You're Probably Fucking. Um, but uh, which I should saying it at the start, I may get censored by, uh, by YouTube, but we'll find out. But I don't want to start there. I want to actually start with Roger Scruton. Do you know who Roger Scruton was? Uh, no, I'm not sure that I know. He was a British um, philosopher. Uh, he was a conservative. Um, he uh, gave a lecture once entitled Sexual Morality for Heathens. And mm -hmm. during the lecture, he claimed that sexual desire is about an interpersonal reaction. He said that the aim uh, of sex is not just bodily, but it is the, the aim is to connect to another and it is, according to him, about creating personal and interpersonal meaning. Uh, do you would you disagree with with Scruton on, on that level, or is that too general of a statement to disagree uh, with? Yeah, I mean, one can certainly agree that it is uh, the sex is never just about sex; that it is uh, about many things, and that so if connecting with the other can be one of them for sure, but there are many other things that can be at, at play here. And this is what uh, makes, I think, uh, uh, sexuality a worthy object of this kind of ontological investigation that I have taken into the, in this book, because uh, and this is what the title is meant to say. So what exactly is sex? What do we refer to when we say, okay, but this is uh, sex, just like 
uh, intercourse that can be physically described and circumscribed, some invisible substance, some meaning uh, that is there. So I guess it's none of these things and uh, many of them at the same time. So that uh, one of my points is precisely that uh, sex and sexuality uh, exists precisely in this constant gap that separates it from itself, not simply from whatever, there is this kind of, uh, exists precisely as a kind of deviation, not uh, from itself. And also what we call sublimations, uh, I think are not really substitute satisfactions in the sense that we say, okay, instead of, uh, I don't know, uh, having sex, we write a poem or we have this conversation, uh, but actually, are a kind of deviation uh, of the sexual itself, which is not this kind of clear substance that we could uh, circumscribe and say, okay, this now, here we can see it. This is, uh, we can see, you know, many things, but I don't think we can see the, the substance of the sex. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are two <clears throat> levels of, uh, that I want to explore in this conversation. One would be the philosophical level yeah yeah uh, i think of um the, answering the question what is sex is something uh, akin to answering this the question what is being you know or, or it might be akin to uh, answering the question what is it to know uh the epistemological question um so i think I'll, I'll go with the philosophical approach first um and in order to do that i will start with that reggie watts song uh that okay. i i sent you before entitled if you're effing you're effing <clears throat> i've already broken the rule and yeah so we we uh, yeah so that they know also what kind of words <laughs> terminology to yeah, no, you can you can but, say you can say it. I, <laughs> no, you can say fucking okay. if you want so here are a few lines from the song and i'll just say it the lines are if you're fucking then you're probably fucking if you're fucking then you're probably having some sex if you're not fucking then you're probably not fucking if you're not fucking then you're definitely then you definitely ain't fucking. If you're not fucking, then you most likely ain't fucking. If you're not fucking, baby, you ain't having no sex. However, in your book, What is Sex? You start by arguing that even if you are not fucking, and you said this just a moment ago, you might still be having some sex, or at least you might be enjoying the same satisfaction that you would if you were having sex. You write that even when you sublimate your sexual desire into non-sexual activities like baking a pie or having a conversation, you can still enjoy the same satisfaction you would derive from sex. You write, the point that Lacanian psychoanalysis makes, however, is more paradoxical. The activity is different, yet the satisfaction is exactly the same. In other words, the point is not to explain the satisfaction in, talk, in talking by referring, by referring to its sexual origin. So I get the sense that sex is not just about biology, but is maybe something symbolic. Sex isn't just a straightforward physical act. It's a concept, but for me, the question remains, what sort of concept is it? Uh, yeah, thanks for, for this introduction, which I think really kind of uh, puts, at, uh, puts us straight uh, in the center of, the, of all these issues. Uh, uh, just a brief remark on your last, when you say that, yeah, you had the sense that sex is not just about biology and it's also perhaps something symbolic. Actually, my claim is that it is a failure of both uh, the symbolic and of biology. It's not simply symbolic instead of biological. It is also a kind of intrinsic failure of the symbolic itself 
uh, it's the very point when it uh, comes into some kind of contradiction. But we can uh, go into this perhaps later. First, I would like to respond to this uh, like obvious question that was there at the beginning of your uh, argument, of your formulation, which is, so when I said, I'm not saying that there is uh, simply no difference between different kinds of activities, that uh, whatever we do, we, we have sex. This is obviously not what I'm saying. I'm also not saying that it is uh, having sex or fucking uh, from the poem is just like, I don't know, having this conversation, for instance. For instance or baking a pie. Or baking a pie or something like this. So uh, And so if I say that, uh, the satisfaction can be the same. This refers to something very precise, and I will simply try to, to describe what this is. We could say that it refers to something in fucking, in talking, in writing, in baking, that is more than just all these things, like talking, uh, fucking, writing, baking. And more, if I say more, uh, in, I mean it in the sense that it is not uh, exhausted, say, but by the functional uh, dimension or usefulness of these activities. Uh, like, I don't know, you say, okay, when I'm hungry, I have this uh, need and I satisfy it by eating. But we know also from our everyday experience that when we, uh, when we eat, something else gets satisfied very often, not simply the need for food, and this something else could even become the strongest reason for us to eat, even if we are not hungry. So, kind of. so uh, when I talk about uh, the same kind of satisfaction, um, I'm precisely not talking about the satisfaction of the need, but of this, let's say, other surplus satisfaction, uh, which kind of is also redoubling uh, uh, or is redoubled uh, in what we call like having sex or from the poem fucking. And I think this is a very important point to remember that human sexuality is not sexual simply on account of it including sexual organs or something like this. Rather, there is something in the very constitution of human nature that I would say sexualizes the sexual activity itself. Kind of endos is also with a surplus investment. So uh, although I think perhaps this point uh, could seem paradoxical, but if one thinks what it is that distinguishes, uh, let's say, human sexuality from, say, animal or vegetal, at least as far as we can see, I think it is precisely the fact that human sexuality is sexualized in this sense, that it is, we, we could say sex is sexy, you know, there is something else going on here. So uh, this constitutive redoubling is what makes it kind of uh, dislocated, uh, not only uh, in respect to, let's say, the reproductive purpose, but also in respect to itself, what we think is sex. So I think I could answer your question by saying sex refers to certain physical activity, but it also refers to something in any activity that is more than just this activity. Mm -hmm. uh, and this more can be this uh, uh, more can be substituted for mores that occur in other activities. So perhaps this is one kind of simple yeah. way of, of putting it. I, you know, I, 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 you have psychoanalytic training, right? 
Uh, you... No, not really. No, no, no. no. I, okay. I only have like the theoretical background, which I, it's where from a, a long date. I have some, I've been in analysis, but this is not relevant, I guess. Okay. Few, then I can tell you about this and I won't have to worry that you're going to charge me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have, uh, uh, when you were describing this, a, a memory came to me. Uh, I started free associating maybe. Um, <laughs> and uh, I re- recalled when it was that I learned about sex and, yeah. uh, and, and it was not when my parents took me aside and explained to me where, where babies come from. They told, I was already informed about the mechanics of intercourse when I learned about sex, which came after. Okay. So like I knew what sex was, I knew what fucking yeah. was. Right. But my neighbor, uh, uh, this neighbor boy who I was friends with, was a little younger than I was, maybe a year younger. Uh, we were playing in the street. I don't remember exactly, you know, what we were doing, but he kind of pulled me aside and said, "I've, I want to tell you something. Do you know that adults have sex even when they don't want to make a baby?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> Why would they do that?" Said, no, they like it. They like it. And I was like, what? What is there to like? <laughs> why would this question? <laughs> yeah, I was like, why would they like what? I I thought this was how you make a baby and that that's what it was for. And he's like, they do it all the time. They're constantly doing it. And uh, and that was that was like, you know, the a uh, uh, veil fell from my eyes and I saw the world differently and I I was a little concerned. <laughs> And and that that was a moment when I learned about sex, and I guess that was a moment when I learned about how sex is about something more than the act, more than uh, yeah, more than the act, for. and also it can be uh, implied in some. I mean, you know, uh, it's obvious example, but there is also just a kind of inclination of the head or the smile that can be uh, sexy without there being any intrinsic. You know, this is what is interesting here. I think it's really. Uh, this kind of, uh, on the one hand, um, if we, the moment we try to provide a very clear definition of what is sexual activity, uh, we obviously we get uh, into trouble because it is not simply given in advance something that, as I said before, can be kind of isolated and described, assigned a place. This is the place of sex and uh, all the rest is something uh, different. So it constantly operates, it is declination and in relationship to all other things, which uh, it kind of uh, also can, this non-being contaminates them and kind of starts inhabiting uh, them from within, uh, words and stuff like this. But uh, it also can sexualize things that um, uh, at the first sight has have nothing to do with sexuality, like violence and stuff like this. So it is very interesting how this uh, works, yeah. Well, the relationship to pleasure um, seems important to me, but it's it's pleasure. Yeah, even pleasure is is um, in a Freudian context. Pleasure means something different than what you normally would think of it as meaning. I guess because um, because when I hear you talk about sex as something that can be applied in many different registers and can this the the, yeah, yeah. the the formal or uh, abstract notion of sex um uh arises you know when you're baking a pie or having a conversation um i feel as though 
that abstract notion misses something and it has to do with the physical act, right? It has to do with sex itself. Um, But yet I also know that sex itself can be purely mechanical and not sexy. Right. So it's, it's a strange situation where I don't feel like we can really disentangle sex from, you know, all sorts of sexual activity, but uh, at the same time, I have to admit there is something that is separate that has to do with pleasure uh, and excess. No. So. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, obviously, there is this question of pleasure or of enjoyment. I don't want to complicate too much. There is this kind of a idea in the uh, particular Lacanian psychoanalysis that, yeah, uh, pleasure is supposed to be following Freud some kind of a... Um, um, harmonious or kind of homeostatic principle, whereas enjoyment is something that is driven by more and more, not because it lacks something, but because it wants more of what it got. Should we say joissance when we say enjoyment? uh, Yeah, I mean, this is the French term, but basically it means that um, enjoyment can be, and very often it is beyond the pleasure principle to use this Freudian description, which is to say that it doesn't necessarily stop when this homeostatic uh, principle of uh, when you, for instance, satisfy a need, you should be satisfied. That this is also a pleasure when you satisfy a, a need. It is pleasurable experience because the the, the frustration, let's say, disappears. It, uh, but at the same time, uh, this pleasure can uh, start functioning as a causality, uh, as a causality of its own, as a kind of cause of further pleasure, or even the reason for further pleasure. So it is it is different than just like saying this pleasure in this uh, non-conceptual uh, uh, way. But just I want to return to what you were saying before. Um, it is not uh, for me. The question is not whether we can separate, uh, let's say the purely sexual thing from the sexual um, activity itself and then uh, see it in this abstract way also in other activities. I'm saying that it is already separated from the sexual activity in the very sexual act in the sense that it is something more in this act that just is obviously related to, uh, to pleasure, but there can be, for instance, I don't know, I just saw yesterday this uh, beautiful uh, Japanese movie that about the silver bear in Berlin. Uh, I think it's called uh, Contingency and Imagination or something like this. There's this beautiful scene when a reading, okay, of some pornographic scene, but nevertheless, a simple reading by a, a woman of this passage to the author is, it functions like a sexual intercourse it is an act it is not simply uh you know you say okay but they they didn't do it they did it in a way i mean and i think you have so for me this is not abstract if i say that there can be this kind of uh, a surplus enjoyment in speaking and is that in this for me it's not something abstract because words or writing it's not abstract it is a material practice that uh, that has this kind of a possibility of uh, um, being um, involved in or contaminated, and this is for me. So it's not that sexuality kind of uh, makes these practices more dirty or more. I don't know. It is. I, I think it's the other way around. 
uh, as I write in the book, for me, this kind of perspective shows uh, how much this is not simply about debasing all these intellectual activities when we recognize a certain sexual dimension in them, as it is about also kind of rising the uh, sexual activity itself in some kind of uh, uh, intellectual activity, not just some kind of uh, um, basic instinct uh, stuff. Because I really think that uh, lots of, I mean, the ideas, the, the spirit comes uh, in at some point. And it's not simply, uh, yeah, about... Uh, well, you're, you're a continental philosopher, right? Not an analytic yeah. philosopher. In like in, in the realm of analytic philosophy, A equals A. What you're looking for are systems of definitions and logical relations. And in the realm of continental philosophy, I feel like there's more of a space for uh, poetic understanding or, or and that's maybe not even the right word, but um, well, for Hegel, there's there's room for Hegel where where understanding that a is also not a um is vitally important for having an understanding of, of the world the way in which uh contradictions and oppositions uh are built into what we take to be simple uh sub you know simple objects say like you know my cup is also not a cup in order to be right um and i feel like something's similar is going on here with sex that there is a a way in which um uh the the act of sex is <clears throat> very much about the body and about pleasure and about genitals um you know i guess if we're uh if we haven't regressed to an oral or anal stage or something it's about genitals uh in a freudian perspective you know that genital sex is the ultimate um but <clears throat> at the same time it is not just those things. Uh, but if you try to, I find if you try to like fill in that gap, whatever you come up with to explain what it is also about feels wrong. Um, like if you, if you say, well, sex is also about your fantasies about what kind of person you want to be. So you'll, you're with a partner maybe who will satisfy your own narcissistic self-image and so your your fantasy about this partner is what you're acting out that 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 kind of sex misses it misses what sex could be um and it's too uh too close to a kind of an analytic perspective where you, you have a clear fantasy um which i don't think we really do so i'm not sure if i'm leading up to a question or not but i'm just sort of trying to understand uh joissance and the the way in which the lack of uh com of completeness the and the lack of uh, harmony is essential to this notion of of sex and why that can then sex can be so essential to uh, our understanding of the human say uh yeah, I mean, uh, there are many different questions here. The, the the one that you started with, the question of the difference between uh, continental and analytical philosophy in this kind of, uh, which is very well, uh, I think, described precisely in this difference, uh, the example that you gave between this kind of tautological 
A is A, a cup is a cup, and uh, the kind of Hegelian, let's say, uh, move here, which is not simply to say a cup is also perhaps not a cup. What Hegel uh, does, uh, the first move is that he takes the tautology itself, A is A, and says, okay, but the very fact that we have one A in the place of the, um, uh, how do you call it, the, uh, the subject, and the other at the place of the predicate, already introduces the, the movement. They are not the same, actually. I mean, it is uh, uh, also, the moment you speak, you cannot simply say, uh, you can say A is A, and this makes sense, but this means precisely that uh, it makes sense on the basis of the possibility that A is not A, that they are not the same. So there is this kind of, a, even if you just say A, there is already this non-A implied in it. And uh, here how then the, the Hegelian dialectics introduces this kind of movement in the tautology. And I kind of uh, detected the same kind of a, um subtle movement in tautology in these uh, lines of the poem that you quoted at the beginning, where it's precisely, it is not simply saying fucking is fucking, it is also saying, but it is, uh, I mean, trying to uh, just to repeat this word so many times, and in this case, it is perhaps this, it is precisely about the movement at stake here. So it is not about this kind of sometimes boring Supposedly continental relativizing of everything, but things are also the opposite of what they are. No, it is, I think, for me, much more interesting and also much more materialistic notion of, of this gap or not coincidence being a way of um, the possibility of circumscribing precisely a certain contradiction um, of reality, obviously of the symbolic reality, because we have this way of talking about it that is symbolic and not simply kind of some kind of immediate uh, communication with it. Uh, but so this is uh, very, uh, for me, very essential in understanding in general how uh, kind of philosophy could work. So this is nothing directly yet to do with uh, with sexuality but it's or sex, but it is true that I kind of approach uh, this question of sexuality from the Freudian, uh, let's say, standpoint, which is, I think, very, very interesting because uh, it, for him, uh, sexuality, in Freud, sexuality becomes a concept, a kind of, I would say, even a philosophical concept. It, it's not simply a um, name of a certain uh, act, let's say, copulation or something, but it's a concept that, that names a certain network also social network of contradictions, complications, uh, meanings, impossibilities of meanings, and so on. This is what is sexuality. So it, uh, I, if I say sexuality as a concept, it precisely means that it is something that helps us uh, interrogate and perhaps kind of uh, double question just this kind of uh, everyday use of the term sex, which obviously also exists. But then if you stop to say what exactly, again, is uh, the sex that we talk about all the time, then it becomes less clear what uh, it is and how. So, and I think it is interesting to, uh, to see this, not simply because uh, it's so interesting to talk about sex, but because this is precisely this kind of 
ontological uh, deficit or ontological negativity that is part of it is also what relates it or what makes it absorb, uh, bring in all the social dimension of the sexual, which is uh, obviously extremely important. Sexuality and sex, it's not simply about intimacy. And the first thing that Freud discovered was, uh, I mean, with his notion of sexuality, it made the intimacy explode. It was immediately all about the social relations and uh, all kinds of things. Uh, so it's not to say that it is also about, it's not only body, it's also spirit, or it's not only the act, it's also pleasure. Uh, this also is constitutive of this, uh, once you try to start to think of it. It's not that you have some fundamental thing and then also other things, but that even this fundamental thing is already from within uh, ridden by this negativity, but which in itself is the very uh, locus and point where the pleasure gets generated. It, it's not, uh, I mean, okay, this is a kind of uh, formulation, but I would put it uh, um, in this way, perhaps. Well, I am... Um... I had a, a a question that I had written and sent to you before, which talked about Freud's um, understanding of our psychosexual development. I referred to. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Stage. Yeah. And um, while you were describing uh, sex, and now that's all we've been talking about, um, I it, it came to me that I didn't want to ask it in this Freudian way. I wanted to ask it in a way that may be a little more accessible. Um, uh, cause the end of my question originally was, you know, when we get to the genital stage or the genital phase of our psychosexual development, yeah, yeah. Do we then know the truth about sex. But I think mm -hmm. the, uh, to flip this around, um, I might ask, was Freud trying to help people improve their sex life? And are you like, you know, there's, if you heard of Dr. <laughs> Ruth Westheimer, you Did know, you say approve, approve or improve. I'm not yeah, sure. <clears throat> Well, I don't know. I there may have been a Freudian <laughs> slip there. I may have said approve, but I meant to say improve, improve, improve make it better. Um, uh, to, so are you, you're not asking the question, "What is sex?" in order to then master sex so that you can have better a better sex life, or or advise other people on how to have a better sex life. Um, but rather, you're trying to. Uh, give us an understanding into sex so that we can have a more self-conscious and self-directed life altogether, perhaps. And so uh, my question would be, yep. what do you think happens socially when we take up sex the way Dr. Ruth Westheimer does as uh, an aspect of our life, which we can perfect and that we um, are almost, uh, uh, commanded to enjoy and uh you know maybe sanitize or um you know that the, the, when sex becomes the same thing as um eating three square meals a day and having yeah, yeah. good good communication and all of that yeah no i'm kind of horrified by this <laughs> uh approach because i think it goes precisely against everything that uh Freud has discovered and that I'm trying to, uh, to kind of elaborate in this uh, book, which, by the way, yeah, it's not about helping people improve their sexual uh, 
experience is absolutely not about that. And if people would uh, look for something like this in this book, I could say in advance <laughs> that they would be uh, very much disappointed. It is it is a kind of philosophical, ontological inquiry into uh, what is uh, sex, not only what is the meaning of sex, but what is the sex as related, obviously, also to meaning and, and so on. So mm. I think uh, what this kind of uh, um, um, take on sexuality that presents it as yeah, one aspect, first of all, precisely, sexuality is not one aspect of our lives. It is kind of uh, our lives are, are written by it in all kinds of ways. It is not that it could be, as I said before, cir circumscribed, okay, now I will have some sex and I will try to make it the best possible. Uh, what, what Freud discovered, and I think this is important to bring into this conversation, is he discovered sexuality in relationship to the notion of the unconscious expression, which are not simply the notions that are meant to say that sex is being repressed all the time and that uh, Victorians are repressing it, that we could uh, kind of uh, freely admit it and encourage it. But uh, he was really led very soon to see Freud that there was something in, in sexuality that is constitutively problematic and not only problematic because of all the exterior, exterior prohibitions, regulations, uh, because one of these uh, ways of regulating what is problematic about sex, this negativity that seems to be there, whatever we do, is also to supposedly liberate it, to encourage it, to say, oh, this is nothing, sex is just a normal, a natural thing. No, precisely, it is not simply a normal, natural thing. It is a human thing, and as a human thing, it has something in itself which is far from simply uh, nature following its course. So uh, there is something, I think, terribly wrong with this kind of attempts to appropriate sexuality as just this kind of um, uh, activity that we should um, that should be there because it's also good for our health like gymnastics is or whatever jogging every day uh, and try to kind of um, uh, separate it precisely from this uh, edge this negativity which is which is both extremely productive and problematic, but it is it is there and I don't think this can work. Then it just explodes. This is all this is the repression of what sex is if it just reduces to reduce it to this kind of a, um, activity. So uh, I guess this sex can really in, I mean sex sexuality is the locus, the technology that can bring into our discussions and social behaviors many, many things that are uh, can be hidden otherwise, and it is important that it is uh, that this happens, not that we just swept everything under the the carpet. Supposedly, we we've dealt with uh, with sexuality, but so. But I also, when you sent me this question um, uh, referring to these different stages that Freud refers to, uh, kind of the genital phase supposedly being the, the kind of the ultimate stage, uh, I, I was uh, thinking about this, and I wanted to, to reply to this, first of all, that this theory of stages, uh, at least for me, it's not really what is uh, interesting in, in Freudian concept of sexuality. It's obviously some kind of a tool that he uses, but uh, what is, but he nevertheless, what is really important, I think, in Freud is his insistence 
um, on the uh, uh, notion of uh, infantile sexuality. I think because this is, if we uh, talk about these stages, you know, the, the, the oral, the anal, phallic, whatever, and then you mm. have the mature sex, what I think quite, uh, and this was revolutionary, that Freud kind of insisted that uh, there is uh, such thing as infantile sexuality. But what does this mean? Uh, first, it meant for Freud that, yeah, it exists. Children are sexual beings, uh, but also secondary, it meant that it exists in the absence of both kind of biological and symbolic frameworks for its existence. So both in the absence of uh, natural and cultural parameters. This means that like biologically speaking, uh, sexual organs of children are not up to their functions, if you just like take this function. Right. But also symbolically speaking, children have no means of understanding properly and making sense of what is happening to them sexually. And I don't know, they're being seduced or even if they are, when they are touching each other, whatever. They, 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 there is no symbolic framework for what is happening. So I can, uh, one can understand why uh, this infantile sexuality is such a kind of... Um, uh, sensitive and uh, explosive zone to think about, and rightly so. Uh, but I think what is really uh, scandalous, what was scandalous about the Freudian theory, uh, was not this kind of uh, de uh, developing stages, but another point, uh, which would be that uh, uh, if sexuality, uh, infantile sexuality, uh, is something that is covered neither by biology nor by the symbolic or the culture. Uh, the point is that actually this doesn't change all that much when we become adults. This is, I think, this was the real scandal. Namely, that this kind of maturity of sexual organs uh, dramatically fails to make these organs uh, function as exclusive sites of sexuality. This, this is part of it, but it, it's not like it doesn't then just happen there and remain there and only there. Mm -hmm. And it also fails to produce a kind of solid basis for clearly framing, symbolically understanding what is our sexuality. Why. So it is, uh, I think, the reason why infantile sexuality is so um, sensible, is considered to be such a dangerous and sensitive tone, it's not simply because of its difference uh, uh, in contrast with adult sexuality, but rather because of their proximity. That actually, as adults, we are not so much better off. Obviously, we have parameters of understanding something, negotiating things, and uh, mm -hmm. making the part of it. But it's not, uh, and I think this is uh, something very important that is there uh, in Freud, much more so, I would say, that. Uh, this question, uh, what this ultimate genital phase certainly exists, but it fails also in some ways. So it's not well, again, I'm 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 having a memory, and I this was uh, even more dangerous one. But uh, when I was <laughs> about six or so, seven, I recall I had a neighbor girlfriend. We would we played doctor a few times. You know, we oh, I we, think uh, right. All yeah. the children do this. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So I was like, you know, it's like, I'll be the doctor and I'll examine you and then you can be the doctor and you can examine me. And um, it was quite a mystery what was going on when we did that. And we got caught. It was uh, embarrassing. We got caught by uh, 
the her father who was a military man he caught me but <laughs> <laughs> anyhow um uh, this could lead. This could lead to certain uh, sexual fetishes <laughs> later, yeah, right, in right, right, later in life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but uh, later on, I, I've not. I don't play doctor anymore, right? But uh, but maybe I play some other game when I uh, get the yeah, yeah. neighbor neighbor lady alone. And uh, so that that need for a fantasy structure is what persist from childhood to yeah, yeah. adulthood mm. i mean in in childhood it's pretty easy to see like the only context we had or excuse that we could come up with in order to explore each other would be oh we're at the doctor or mm-hmm. i have to pee or something you know something like yeah, that yeah. Uh, um and uh but later on you don't need that excuse you've already been informed by the boy down the road that adults have sex just for the hell of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you, you start to understand that. Um, But nonetheless, that, that need for a fantasy uh, persists. Um, And is that something that's key to understanding how sex is uh, uh, kind of a universal uh, part of the human experience, the need for an imaginary or fantasy structure for, our lives to provide us a way to enjoy. And also the fact that those fantasies can exceed their functionality, that they're not, they're not practical. Ultimately they take on a power of their own. Is that part of what, what you're driving at? Uh, absolutely. I think this is really kind uh, what I am trying to say it's not in a nutshell, uh, because it means that um, actually this necessity uh, of sexual fantasies is there also at the most basic level, let's say, of sexual activity. So it is not simply something added to it, but it is actually what makes sexual activity possible. Sexual, it is never immediate. I think it, and it is not, this is not only about fantasies in the sense of, okay, you have, uh, I don't know, sex and you think about this other persons or ways of doing it or whatever, not only this sense, but it could also be, let's say, if you find a certain gesture, a certain position of your partner sexually appealing, this could also already be a part of fantasy. It comes from, it is already mediated. It comes from some certain kind of a, a symbolic um, um, experience, can be memory, something which has gone through the wheels of uh, this kind of uh, uh, non-physical existence, non-bodily existence, but nevertheless as a bodily experience. So it is. This is absolutely crucial, as you say, that actually there is no sex in this sense without sexual fantasy making it possible in a kind of uh, giving us access to this uh, act or to enjoyment in this act. Uh, so in a way, and and. In this sense, it is never immediate, even when it is immediate in the sense that it corresponds to what we would roughly say, okay, this is clearly a sexual intercourse. But uh, so it's not simply, we say it's not only that. Uh, um, as I said earlier, I'm not simply saying, okay, it is so much more than this. It is simply that it never simply coincides with itself. There is this gap, this space, which is usually. Uh, filled or uh, um, occupied by this kind of uh, fantasies and which then obviously bring in uh, all the 
can be the, the, the social sphere, the, the sphere of our other experiences and memories and so on. And it is, is a, a kind of framework. It's not that we need to actively then think of these things. It is just, it could be a small detail that kind of brings in and functions as this kind of filter that makes it possible for us to actually sexually relate to uh, to, to, to another person. Right. Um, Okay, so we've talked about sex for a while now. I want to raise <laughs> yeah. another topic, um, which is uh, love. And yeah. um, uh, how do you uh, think about your understanding of sex uh, as a philosophical concept uh, as opposed to uh, Zizek's notion of love? He describes in his book, um, wow, the Sex and the Absolute, I think is the name of the, the book, uh, how the possibility for real material uh, sex without a fantastical or without a fantasy supporting it um, would be what he thinks of as an act of love. Mm. That love would get beyond The fantasy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, What do you make of that? Uh, no, I mean, uh, I think we kind of, with uh, Slava, we are here thinking along the more or less the same uh, lines because, okay, the, 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 the title I think is uh, Sex and the Failed Absolute. So it's oh, right, kind of right. a failure of the absolute, which but which doesn't simply mean that it's always a failure and the, there is no, no absolute. It means, means in a way precisely that this failure itself could start functioning as the absolute. And I think this is precisely what he means by love as something that is um, actually capable of relating to the other in a, also in a sexual way, but uh, going, I would say, okay, this is a kind of tricky vocabulary, uh, beyond fantasy as a kind of um, bringing in or um, uh, leaning or uh, on something else than fantasy in or constituting something else as fantasy uh, uh, to uh, mediate this space between the between the two, uh, and I think this I would basically agree that this is uh, what love uh, is all about. I would simply add, and this is perhaps I'm, I'm not even sure if it is a, a kind of small difference that we share <laughs> with Lawe. Uh, I also. Uh, differently from many uh, readings and uh, also from a huge canyon of uh, uh, Western literary uh, work, I think that love has much more to do with comedy than with tragedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not in the sense that obviously there is such thing as tragic love or tragic, I mean, uh, love kind of, tears us open and exposes us to the world in an unprecedented way. So in this sense, we are up for some tragedies if we are in love. It could be, but love that works, let, let me put it like this, when is this kind of, a, for me, uh, it's, I think Lacan also has this line at some point, it is a kind of comic movement in the sense, precisely not simply something funny, but a certain pas de deux, a certain dialectics of the in which the very uh, missed encounter keeps feeding the possibility of the encounter itself so this failure 
could also be taken perhaps in this sense of a comic failure, which is very different from the tragic failure, because tragic failure kind of pushes us off the, the, the cliff, so to say, whereas kind of comic failure works almost the other uh, way around and produces its own surplus. It kind of bounces us back uh, into something else. So comic failure, usually it's not just about not not succeeding to doing something, but also about surplus succeeding, about particularly something succeeding succeeding there when we uh, where we least expect it to succeed. And I think there is something in the dialectic of love, which for me is quite fascinating because it does involve, in this sense, for me, this uh, element of surprise. You are surprised. You cannot but but be surprised that this actually works like this and that uh, uh, this is happening. So uh, for me, surprise is one of the effects that are clearly um, kind of uh, relevant for the discussion of love uh, mm -hmm. because, and it's not, okay, I knew all along this person was meant for me. It is precisely, even if I knew it all along, or even if I am looking for love, I don't know, somewhere online, when it really happens, I, I claim, you are still surprised. There is something that happens there that you don't, even if you were looking for it, it comes from a slightly different um, angle and it kind of throws you out of your joint, so to say, uh, also by means of uh, something that to which then you, you have to react in a certain way. And this is where what I call the comedy of love uh, as this kind of... A, uh, being together uh, starts when you then have to respond always to things which are not simply uh, following this kind of uh, linear causality, but uh, these other moments that pop up or keep popping back and that one needs to intercept in the air and uh, play, play with further. But yeah, I, I definitely think, but I also think that uh, love and sexuality are obviously related. I, I'm not so it's not that we can say, okay, this is just sex and this is love. Uh, there, there is perhaps I could put it this way: there certainly is there is sex without love, but I'm almost sure there is no love without sex in one of these many meanings. But still, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, it's it, I I couldn't help but you know recall the fact that the the song that I referenced at the start is comedic you know it's a joke mm -hmm. it's a um, yeah yeah yeah. Watts, obvious. yeah yeah right and reggie watts yeah. is a is a very uh hilarious comedian and and he's lovely you know he's mm -hmm. he he's he you watch him and you feel better he's he's fun he he uh he's not a dark comic he's a he's very light really and um uh, so I, I think that that all ties together. I, I want to ask you a couple more questions, even though that would be a good place to stop. But um, about po the politics of this briefly, mm -hmm. um, because you mentioned in your book um, that in psychoanalysis, sex is disappearing, which is the last place you'd expect it to disappear from is in psychoanalysis. Yeah, yeah. But it's also disappearing from Hollywood films. Um and it, it's even as we become a more and more pornographic society with easy access to hardcore imagery and all of that mm -hmm, uh, online, mm -hmm. sex is disappearing mm -hmm. uh, from our culture. It seems like at the same time, we don't, we don't have a sense of it. It's, it's more taboo 
sex is more taboo or dangerous seeming now than it, it, it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it seems to me. Uh, what do you think is the, the explanation for the disappearance of sex from psychoanalysis and from our culture? Yeah, I mean, I don't have some kind of uh, overwhelming general uh, answer to this, but I think uh, it is definitely true what you say that in, in, spire, uh, in spite of or even all through this kind of pornographization of many things, on the one hand, and through this other movement that you described earlier, this kind of commodification of sexuality, selling it as just another aspect which we can approve, improve, and then kind of uh, take to a uh, kind of something that can enrich our lives and so on. All these things are obviously avoiding something quite essential about sexuality, a certain uh, edge that it has, uh, and which is, at least this is my take on it, uh, it is not simply, for instance, sometimes we have this uh, uh, idea uh, that uh, what is being kind of coward here, also when there is censorship or whatever, uh, what is being covered over by these uh, procedures, um, that this is some kind of a dirty, subversive substance of sexuality. But I think what Freud actually was the first to articulate clearly is that what is being covered there, it's not some dirty, subversive substance of sexuality, but the fact that sexuality is itself a problem rather than the ultimate answer to all our problems. I mean, this is a common misunderstanding that for Freud, sexuality is the ultimate answer. No, it is the ultimate question. It is the, uh, the problem. This is what he saw uh, very clearly. So mm. there is nothing uh, um, obvious or self-evident about it, and it carries in itself uh, this kind of inherent impasse, and also an impasse, I would say, or contradiction or antagonism of that to what it pertains, or, or what it is part of, that is to say, symbolic, social, whatever structure. So uh, the scandal of sexuality, I think, is not something that we can see in it, but precisely something that cannot be seen because it is not there. Uh, when I see, I don't know, naked bodies or an act of copulation, we see many things, but we don't see, for instance, what Lacan called the sexual relation, which is why he said there is no sexual relation. So relations certainly exist and they are very, they can be very sexual, but they exist against the background of not having any of this kind of pre-given automatic key. So sexual relations then yeah, exist as comedy, tragedy or so on, but they also have this uh, social dimension because of this, uh, this, social, this need for social regulation. But again, my claim would be that what this regulation is trying to regulate is precisely not something which is there, but something which is not there and which we try to kind of obsessively fill in or make uh, this um, think and negativity invisible or something like this. So I guess uh, this is for me what is interesting. So we should not go too quickly for this, okay, sex is becoming, why is it problematic? Not simply because uh, certain images are, um, they can be, but certain images are disturbing, but what this disturbance further suggests about 
uh, ourselves, about our being, about our non-being. This is, I think, what is really uh, considered and has always been considered uh, this kind of a um, neurological difficult point of sexuality that we are now trying absolutely uh, to get rid of. Yeah, um, sex, but the the what in sex is precisely more or less than sex. This is being uh, now subject of all these kind of uh, censorships, for, which sometimes take place, uh, as I said, or takes the form take the form of encouragement. Of uh, this is also a way of not dealing with what yeah. is sex. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Eric Fromm wrote a book called Escape from Freedom, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and and it seems like maybe that that's connected to this current uh, attempt to escape from sex, that freedom is a problem, really. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, so uh, my, my Google is talking to me. I must have said something to it. <laughs> something to it. <laughs> Um, escape from freedom you mentioned escape from right and google's like i can help you with that um <laughs> uh but um yeah so and i am yeah. also struck by the fact that uh i have uh kids who are zoomers and they explain things to me and one of the things that has been explained to me lately is that your gender yeah. is, has nothing to do with your sexual orientation and there's been a huge focus on changing genders uh, in the last 10 years or so. People not just, they don't want to just be trans from going from male to female, female to male, but they want to go from male to, I don't know, uh, lamp genders, one that actually exists or, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or gender fluid or what, just a whole uh, hundreds of different kinds of genders, chicken tender gender. It's a joke gender, but that also exists. And, um, but the key to it is that, that changing your gender is this radical act that people are interested in. Um, whereas what your sexual orientation is, is of no, is of almost no interest to anyone at all anymore. It's like being gay is not, uh, subversive anymore. Like everyone is gay, no matter what they want to do sexually. Uh, because there's no, there's no foundation for, uh, for that orientation. There's no, you know, the, you're just oriented in which, whichever way. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm, I'm getting at, except that yeah. it seems to me that this is somehow connected to both a, an attempt to be free, uh, but also an attempt to be free in a way that um, has very little risk to it, where you can, you yeah. can be. You, you escape from the problem of freedom. Um, yeah, I think you're, I mean, I basically, if I uh, got what you were saying, I very much agree with you because I think that there is what is, okay, one thing which already John Kovjic pointed out is this, uh, what happened when even the, the talk about sexual difference completely disappeared and was replaced by the term terminologically by the talk about the gender differences. What disappeared in this move from sex to gender is precisely sex, and not sex only in the sense of gender, like uh, male, female, or whatever, right. but precisely in the sense of sex being an ontological impasse, a problem. The problem disappeared already, or was trying to... Uh, so it's then, and in what you describe, I, I think 
at, at least this is for me. I'm not, I mean, obviously people are free to do what, uh, uh, I mean, it's interesting. And even here we would say people are free. They are not, I mean, I, if you take this seriously, then I don't think this is simply the question of a freedom of choice. You, uh, you, if you can simply choose one of the genders, then I don't think this, I mean, there is a certain necessity, a certain uh, pain, not in the sense of punishment, but a certain existential thing related to it. Uh, for me, uh, sexual orientation, to put it this way, uh, the, the, the terms that you used, is a kind of subjectivation of the very impasse of the sexual. This impasse exists for everybody, and we subject subjectivated in very different ways, uh, which are for this very reason sexual, not before uh, and not simply gender, because we uh, subjectivize a certain sexual impasse, inconsistent, inconsistency, uh, negativity uh, that is there in sexuality as such. So, uh, but if you just then replace this and say, okay, we can... Um, choose between like going to the, and this is caricature, I don't think people usually discuss this in this way, that we can go like in supermarket and then uh, decide what today will be, uh, this kind of playful, okay, this can be a game, a social game, even a sexual game, but I don't think it has the, uh, the weight even of this, what we are discussing when we are discussing, yeah, precisely of also possible uh, sexual retention, sexuality, and also of, of subjective necessity that is part of this, which is not simply, we are a subject, we are not simply free to choose what our, it is, our freedom comes as precisely uh, based on this or, or that necessity. I don't think uh, the, the, the question of freedom and of free choice for me are two very distinct questions. And uh, freedom is much more fundamental and much more important than just the freedom of choice, which kind of obfuscates and uh, produces this image that we are this kind of uh, supposedly completely neutral, uncurved, unwritten beings then then just can uh, uh, construct themselves in whatever way they want if they're free to do. But I think the Freudian lesson is very much, no, you can do whatever you try to construct yourself in hundred different ways. The problem will not disappear because of this. So this is not to say you have to suffer whatever gender you are ascribed. No, I'm not saying this. You can change it, but it's usually because you really feel the urge to do it, not because you just want to play a little bit around and try other things. So, uh, uh, yeah. I yeah. Think and so listen we've we've already talked for an hour i feel like i could talk yeah. to you for another hour easily um <laughs> but i i we, we'll, we'll leave it here for now uh but I'd, i'll ask you this would you like to come back and talk about comedy uh, sometimes uh, written a book about comedy yeah and... i have done this yeah this is my my uh ultimate crime no of course with pleasure If you enjoy these videos, you should click on the subscribe button and click that bell. You should also consider supporting me on Patreon. Patrons get access to a second behind the scenes parrot room discussion where we dish out gossip or go into the weeds on topics such as the tendency of the rate of profit to decline, imperialism, and the critical theories of Tiffany Percet and Donald Most. You'll also get access to both the public and private version 
of the revised Pop the Left series with Ashley Frawley and Pascal Robert, and the new Zoomer Philosophy series. Your support will not only make content like this possible, it will also help to establish a new publishing venture through Diet Soap Media. Right now, supporting me on Patreon will make a big difference.